I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Welcome back to your first million, Arlen, your host, back, back, back. And when I say back, I mean I'm back in Los Angeles, if only for a fleeting moment. In fact, by the time you hear this, I will probably be gone again. But I'm back from a huge trip. I mean, it was a very short trip, but talk about uh, packing a punch. I flew with my mother, Mrs. Sims. Some of you have met her or heard about her or seen her her thread on Twitter that I've done for, I don't know, a year and a half now, where I say my mom has no time for you or your nonsense while, and she's drinking something. If you haven't seen that, check it out. You can search around. Arlen was here on Twitter. Search for my mom nonsense. Arlen was here. You'll see the thread. But she, the star of that, and a wonderful woman, she accompanied me to Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. And more specifically, we were a few minutes north of Dubai in a city called Sharjah, or a a providence called Sharjah. And it was great. It was really great. We were treated very well and kind of had the red carpet rolled out for us. I'm so grateful to the whole team at the event, the Sharjah uh, conference that we went to. There in that city, they have this hub for entrepreneurs. And that hub has been around for four years, same as my fun backstage. So it was really cool to see the similarities and all of the traction they have. And they started small and have grown to helping hundreds of companies and founders in the region and beyond. And it's just really cool. And the event itself was, it was a two-day conference. There was a lot of talk about your inner self and about inspiring yourself and being inspired by others super technical as well. Lots of practical, logistical, actionable advice, of course, pitch competition, all of that. But what I walked away with was just a sense that people there in in that region were really looking for change and really looking for accelerated evolution, growth, of themselves and of their circumstances and of their companies. And I found it to be incredibly inspiring. It reminded me of a few cities around the U.S. that I've been to where you have the beginnings of something very special. And in many ways, if you've ever been over there, you know that in many ways things are behind for sure. And in a lot of ways, they're so far ahead of, of the U.S. that it's it's humorous. So I got to see a lot of 
really interesting people and projects and companies and all sorts of things. And um, as part of my speaking package, we were flown over on first class Emirates. So that's why I took my mom because I wanted her to experience that. And let me just tell you, my mom is so fancy. Like you can't, she was fancy before, believe you me. But you can't tell her nothing now. Like it's it's a wrap. <laughs> you can't tell her anything now about any plane, about anything. So really had a great time. Thanks, Mom, for going with me and for um, for being such a great teammate and, and travel mate. So I did that. I flew uh, on a Saturday afternoon, got there on a Sunday night, 16-hour flight each way, attended the event on a Monday, spoke at the event on a Tuesday, and then flew home first thing in the morning on Wednesday. So it was it was really about a hundred a hundred hours of a trip. So really just like four days, a little over four days, and a third of that time was in a plane. Very much so worth it. I will be back. I know that for sure. Now it is my great, great pleasure to introduce you all to the Nightingales. So couple of things I love about this. One is their name, their last name is Nightingale, which I love. Just love that. Last episode we had Jamie Schmidt on and I love saying Schmitty. And I heard from her that it was okay to call her that. I love Nightingales. I'm a big, I'm a big name person. I love it. And the other thing I love about this is that it was the first time that we had an official interview that had two people interviewing because they are partners. They are uh, married. They're also partners, co-founders of their company. And the third thing I love about it is that it's a service business. I get so many questions about different things all, all the time. Like every day I get questions online, in person, in passing. One of the top five, maybe top five, is how do I scale a service business. Also related, do venture capitalists invest in service businesses? Well, you're going to get a lot of information in this upcoming interview on this episode. Melissa and Jonathan Nightingale, we had a great time talking. It was one of those times where I had to, I only had a few minutes with, with them and they were sharing a mic because they're, they're soldiers. But Really got a lot, was able to extract a lot from them, a lot of learnings. And I'm just excited for you to listen to this if you if you have a service business or if you're thinking about starting one. They made their first million in the last two years through one-on-one or two-on-one service clients. So they'd have to go into the buildings and, and work on a day-to-day basis with clients. And this is how they build up their money. And to me, this is like a, this is, I mean, software is really interesting. I'm always going to think that. I'm always going to think deep tech is really interesting. Hardware is always going to be hard, all of that. But this, service industries, if you think, I don't don't know how to code, or I don't know if I can put together a team of 20 people. I don't know if I can get that, make that happen, but I still want to work on something. This might be your angle. You figure out something that you're really, really good at, maybe something that you write about a lot or something that you read about a lot and that you have all this information that you just didn't realize you already had. And then you find a way to take all of those learnings and you put it into some sort of list or some sort of package. 
and you take that as your as your germ of a of an idea and of a of a, of a thesis, turn that into a service that maybe other people will need. Especially if you can, and just this is just my opinion, but especially if you can do something that multiple companies need. So I'll, I'll, without further ado, I'll, I'll let you write in. Welcome to our conversation, and I hope you glean something from it. I am uh, so glad to be back. So glad to be back. All right, y'all. Bye. You guys have, or you two have the same last name. Are you related at all? We're married to each other. Oh, okay. That's fantastic. Let's well, see. That's convenient. People right. sometimes think that we're brother and sister, but only until they see us in person. And then they realize that we are not brother and sister yeah. at all. And it's funny. We work with a lot of co-founders and, and most of the people we work with are not married co-founders. But man, I don't know how. I feel like you're talking with your co-founders so much that that if we were married to other people, we'd still be talking constantly. For sure. You know, in our portfolio at Backstage, we have a lot of married couples and a lot of mother daughters or father daughters, which we love. And a lot of a lot of investors are like, how do you do that? Right. Yeah. So how? So let's talk about what you do. And then we're going to talk about how you do it and how you make it work. I wonder if the investors who ask you about married co-founders in your portfolio, like tell you about the first rule in venture. Because when we founded, they all wanted to tell us about the first rule in venture, which is that apparently you don't fund married co-founders. Uh, and we were that, like, we weren't even looking rule? for funding, but apparently that's what that's what they told us. Yeah. Um, they, they always know better. Yeah, they do. In, in terms of what we do, Melissa and I have been working in tech for about 20 years. And back in 2017, we quit our jobs as tech execs to run this company called Raw Signal Group. And we we build better bosses. We work with management teams, not exclusively in tech, but I'd say probably 75% of what we work with is tech companies, companies that are growing fast, where bosses are put into jobs that they don't know how to do and just told to sink or swim. Yeah, we had this this sort of realization that for many of the folks who were in technology, they came up the same way we came up, which was like, you're good at a thing, you're really sort of invested in the organization, you're early, they promote you, and suddenly you're in charge of a team of people, and the skills that you need to be in charge of a team of people are totally different than the skills that you needed to be good at the thing that you were good at when they promoted you. And nobody gives you any sort of manual for it, right? And in, in, I think both of our experiences, you get sort of pushed into the deep end, here's a new business card, maybe here's a new salary bump, but that's it. Go figure it out. You were a good engineer, surely you know how to manage engineers, even though that's a totally unrelated job. Mm. So give an example of the, the of a role at a company so I make sure I understand. You're talking about new co-founders of companies or people within organizations that already exist who have been promoted. Primarily, we're talking about people who are within organizations, but founders aren't exempt from this either. Mm. I don't feel like there's any roadmap that says, okay, I'm a founder and like worst case scenario, I'm a successful founder. I get outside investment. I have to go grow my team, yeah. double and triple it. But I've never managed anybody before either. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like founders are exempt from this. I mean, I think the corporate side of that is really interesting because it's so true. It's something that I, I haven't really thought about because I haven't been in the corporate world too much. How are people usually promoted? What are what are the signals that get people promoted? And then what sort of challenges do they face once they're there? I think the first thing we should say is mostly they're they're promoted based on a bunch of garbage about internalized bias and stuff. But if we move past that for a second, especially in a fast growing company, you were first, right? I think honestly, if you if you pull most founders or whoever wrote that promotion aside and say what what informed it, they're going to say, well, she was the first engineer and now we've got five engineers and someone needs to lead that team. And, and it's fair. And the founders <laughs> trust that person. So that yeah. person is now the person who's in charge. And, and I say fair, meaning like that's what they say that's what they think it's fair because they were there first yeah or or that like it's the person who's the, the most charming or whatever and again it always falls into this like 
how much do you look like the founders? That's that's truthfully mm-hmm. how a lot of people get promoted in the mm-hmm. early days. And it, it sucks. But however much engineering or marketing or, or whatever discipline you're in, however much of that skill informed your promotion, it doesn't change the fact that now your your job is to run a team of, let's say, six people, right? You're not writing that code for the most part. You, you're trying to make those people more effective. You, you might be reviewing marketing copy, but you're not writing it. Okay, now what? How do you run a one-on-one? How do you give people feedback? How do you talk to them about their career? Like, this is not the skill that you've got just because you you got a, a degree in this or that mm-hmm. discipline, right? And for the two of us, I think we felt like so much of the garbage that you see in technology organizations, like so much of the bad behavior is the product of people being promoted and not being told that the role is different, right? That, that if you've got someone in an engineering management role and they're managing 10 engineers, like that person may not be having a good experience because they aren't equipped to be a manager, but the I, guarantee the 10 people under them are not Mm -hmm. having a good experience either. Um, And that for us felt like an important thing in terms of technology that like, if you could fix the bosses, you could fix a lot of the things that were broken in our organizations today. And when we started, we thought we were just working on tech, but we started getting outreach from people in agriculture, people in education saying like, this is the stuff. We we wrote a, a blog and and people would react to those posts and say, this is exactly what I'm dealing with from lanes that we did not think were our lane, right? Mm-hmm. From stuff way outside of technology. We but- had somebody write from Teachers Union in New York. I'm like, that's a very different context than technology organizations. So how, how do you do it? What is the actual product or service? There's a couple different ways to do it. Really, for us, it breaks into two things. We do a bunch of work, one company at a time, corporate programs. Usually it's a founder who brings us in. Maybe they they just raised a new round of funding if they're venture backed or whatever it is. They're, they're growing quickly. They feel like it's getting away from them. We often get them say things like, we've doubled in size, but I don't feel like we're going any faster, right? So that's when they call us. And in that context, we're... We're working with the management team and just equipping them with these skills. Give us a bunch of individuals. We're going to give you back a management team that that knows how to run your business. But I'd say for, for the bulk of those conversations, it really starts with, with sitting down with the leadership team and telling them like whatever your old job was, whatever you drew a lot of identity from being amazing at, it's a different job. You're going to have to draw identity from different things, right? If you're still really proud of the code you write and you're running a 50 person organization of engineers, like you're missing the part that you're actually supposed to be contributing to the organization. And what sort of time period? period do you spend with this? We try to go fast and we tell our companies we don't want to create a dependency. We're not management consultants. We don't want to be sitting in your, your offsites for the next two years. So you're not, you're not coaches. We, yeah. Or we, like, a, we like train, right? We give you right. a bunch of skills. Let's talk about how to give feedback better. Let's talk about how to run a meeting that doesn't suck. Right. Mm-hmm. We want to work with those companies intensively, but usually for a month to say like, mm-hmm. you've got the skills, but if we sit with you for the next year, Where's your accountability? Like you got to go run this business, right? So we want to give you the skills, give you a chance to practice, give you opportunities to check in, but then say like, go do it. And is this mostly in Toronto or do you go outside of the city? We've been working with organizations primarily in Toronto, and then we've been getting calls from the rest of the world, which has been cool for us. Yeah. I think we have a, a soft spot in our heart for secondary markets. Like I basically came up in the Valley and spent 13 years of my career working in technology organizations out there. But I feel like the the receptivity that we get from folks in New York, from folks in Seattle, from folks in, in like we got people reaching out from Milan, right? I think there yeah. are folks who are really open to technology being different than it is. I have not seen a lot of those calls coming from San Francisco to make technology so much different than it is. But other markets really do want 
change. And if they did call from San Francisco, would you be able to accommodate that? Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing that we've started doing this year, just in terms of our own business growing, we're only three years in, right, is that we've started doing these ticketed events where anybody can buy a ticket instead of doing it one company at a time. And that came partly because we had people reaching out saying, hey, I want to do a program with you folks, but I don't have 12 other managers to bring with me, right? Mm -hmm. And partly also because we had outreach from other places. And so we needed a program that could go on the road. Yeah, I was was thinking that, but I, I, um, I was wondering about that. So how did that, was that virtual? That, no, that one's still in person, but at least at roadshows, right? So and it's more than one company can come in at a time it. and kind of co-op. In fact, we cap it. We say like no more than eight people from one company because yeah. we don't want you to dominate the conversation. Yeah. And those have gone well? They do. They, it makes our life look a little bit more like band life, right? Yeah. Because then we're then we're sort of figuring out like loading in our stuff and getting yeah. everything set up and making it exactly how we want it. And yeah. so for us, it's really about sort of like getting people to think about the work in a really different way. And part of what we get asked from companies all the time is, will you come do that in our office? And I'm like, yeah. I, like, will you come do it as a 45 minute lunch and learn? Can you transform my management core in a 45 minute content. lunch and learn while they're like shoving sandwiches? No. in their I'm like, no, 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 we can't do that. I mean, you can come there and explain what the month will look like <laughs> yeah. in 45 minutes, yeah. but you can't do the month in 45 minutes. No, but you know, right. They all want to go so fast and they all want to yeah. sort of like sit at the desk as much as possible. But I feel like if you really want people to show up differently than how they have been showing up, you got to take them out of their day-to-day flow. Yeah. When we were building that ticketed thing, we were like, okay, so people coming from all, all over the place, we need to be able to road show it two days. That's all we've got. Give us two full days. Right. And we started doing all the content planning. What would have to be in it? Bunch of stuff on the cutting room floor, but like, What's the basics for like a better boss? If you just give me a boss, how can I certify that we give them back better? And we got to the end, we're like, that's three days. We, yeah. we can't do it in two, right? And yeah. so it's, it's a three-day program that we've been running there. A couple of questions. One is, I can see, you know, a lot of ways, younger managers, they have that hubris, but they kind of understand, okay, I probably need some help. How do you work with people who have been in the game for a very long time and then they have been promoted and they're like, who are you to tell me and, and how do you even get them them to to say yes to seeing you? There's two things there. Yeah. So part of it is, is age and seniority, right? And part of it is just that, like, especially when we're working with tech organizations, you know this, tech has a lot of trouble hearing anybody who didn't come from tech. So, like, we look at it and we're like, on the one hand, there's this, there's like Venn diagram, right? So there's like everybody in tech, tech will listen to those people. They'll listen to the people who have run grow classes. They'll listen to the people who invest. And then the other hand, you have people who are trying to make work better. And that overlap is tiny. And so a lot of what we do is we look for the people who are in that overlap, who know that it should be better mm-hmm. and who are willing to listen. And we, we try to pull that open. We try to give those people more tools to be louder about it. I mean, I think that one of the, the sort of weird passes that we get when we walk into a room full of leaders is in a technology context, both of us came from Mozilla and worked with the organization from 50 people all the way on up over a thousand people. It's like, a $500 million line of business, like half a billion users worldwide. And so for tech, for the folks in the room who need big numbers, we've got big numbers. For the Mm -hmm. folks in the room who need to know that like Mm -hmm. we've led large parts of organizations that have scaled and scaled globally, like we can check that box. And then after that, I think it's much easier to get people to listen to what we have to say. A more scalable model of this business is for us to go teach our methodology to like recent college grads, right? And then send them out all over the world Mm -hmm. and have them go do this program and deliver it. But I think if you've never sat in the seat of trying to lead an organization that's doubling, tripling, quadrupling in size in a year, mm-hmm. it's very hard to relate to the people or, who are sitting there. Or the people, I don't even know of college students. I think you could train a, an army of people who are aging out. This episode is brought to you by me, Arlen, the host. And I'm going to use this time to promote 
my book, It's About Damn Time, which is now available in pre-order. It comes out May 5th, 2020. You can order it now at prh.com slash it's about damn time. Thanks. Let's be clear, though. You're not going in and only talking about diversity and inclusion with people. Let's talk about the pillars. Like, just briefly, what kind of categories are you talking about? Yeah. Um, in fact, we're always really careful not to sell ourselves as a DNI shop. Like, you should do DNI work in your company, and you should hire pros who focus just on that. Yeah. We don't. We don't want to displace those that's, people. That's what's allyship is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. Do, step aside. That's somebody else's <laughs> mic, somebody not ours. Right. Yeah. So, what do you capture? So we talk a lot about, one, how to build teams that are effective. And that feels really mercenary, but like good news, the best way to build effective teams is, is to build a lot of psychological safety to treat them well. So that's a lot of it. What are the tools that go into like building a high performing, psychologically safe team? One-on-ones, clear expectations, feedback that you can actually do something with instead of garbage, like you should be more strategic or whatever, right? That's a lot of the tools, but there's there's a bunch more mechanics. Yeah, I mean, I think when we talk to organizations that are struggling, a lot of the things that they're struggling with, they'll say communication, right? And communication is such a big thing, but I, I could line up a hundred founders and say like, what's the thing that keeps you up at night? And I'd say about 95 of them would say communication and our team, like people just aren't talking to each other. Uh, for organizations that are getting bigger, they say, oh, we've got silos. Parts of the organization are doing stuff that cancels out things other parts of the organization are doing. And all of that is solvable. But when folks say communication, I'm like, what's happening in your one-on-ones? Like, where is the information flowing across your organization? And let's really get systemic about it. Let's pull it apart. Like, mm -hmm. how are you structured? How do people exist within your organization? Where would they find the context that they need? And if they're not getting it on a regular basis, it's not surprising that they would sort of go on rumor mill, yeah. right? They'd go on guesswork. I think internally at Backstage, we have so, like, we've had all these different people coming in and out and it's just been amazing. And I've, I've never experienced anything like the camaraderie at Backstage. But if there were a major pain point, it would be that people felt like they weren't given information fast enough mm -hmm. to process it that affected them. Yeah. And then once they had that information, it was too late and it was, it was like feeling like blindsided. And as much as we raced towards that, it was a really big pain point. So I could see that. The point of it is, is, is that no matter how great things are going, you're absolutely right that the communication is, is like the hardest thing to figure out because you're talking about all these different people who are such characters and such strong personalities and also have so, such ambition. And anyone in our company, I know that for sure, could have their own fund or be their own boss. And so it's just, um, that is always going to be there. So that means that you all have job security. Speaking of job security, let's talk about, this is your first million. I'm assuming things are going well if you're if you're on the show. What is your first million? Has it been your first million dollars in revenue or raised yeah. or what is it? We started in, I mean, we incorporated when we incorporated, but we started work in July of 2017 and 14 months in, we hit our first million in total revenue. Yeah. And, and that's amazing. But we were talking to a friend of ours who's a, a founder, a guy I used to work with at my last startup. He asked how it was going. I said, you know, it's the roller coaster. Like, on one hand, we got the more money, most money the company's ever had in the bank. On the other hand, like, this is not venture backable. We're at a runway in five months if we mm -hmm. don't sell something new, right? Yeah. And he said, you know, I've stopped thinking about it as a roller coaster. It's like when people talk about like quantum physics and how you're in like every state at once. He's like, I am everything from like on top of the world is going to be amazing to, oh my God, what are we going to do? 
I'm living in all those places simultaneously. Mm-hmm. The peaks and the valleys. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I can, if I can zoom out enough, I can see that it's going well, but I swear every day it's sort of just, what's the, what's the next thing? What's the next thing that we're trying to, to solve? How many people do you have on the team? It's us plus Adrian. That's three. Yeah, three people. Ad- Adrian's three people. our ops manager. We've got a designer that we work with. We love her to death, but like we're, we're running tight. Well, that's pretty, I mean, that's like scary in one way and it's really cool in another way that you were able, because there's a, there are a lot of people listening to this who are going to be excited that you two as a couple are co-founders and one other person were able to in 14 months do a million dollars in revenue and something that was it is kind of person to person to person. We only have a brief moment left, um, unfortunately. But how would you describe the way you were able to do it? Is it that you're are you able to give me any numbers as far as like, OK, it's typical that things cost this much and mm-hmm. we've done this this many yeah. For sure. Do you want to go ahead? Sure. Uh, so our training program is $5,000 per participant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our minimum cohort for our sort of marquee program is 12, pe- 12 people. So that's $60,000 per. And that's top line, right? But the nice thing about the two of us standing up at the front is like for your business school listeners, gross margins are good, yeah. right? When we started, uh, Adrian started the day that we started and we knew that There were a bunch of things that could sewer this business. Melissa and I had to learn sales in a hurry. We had to figure out like, what was the program content going to be? And content development is hard. If you're building management programs in your company right now, there's so much sympathy for you. It's really hard to do. But we knew like operational support, that was going to be it. If Melissa and I had to be the ones delivering the work, then somebody else needed to be helping us with everything else that goes into the business. So like that, that was a key unlock for us. And the the last piece I'll say on pricing is that we... We get pushback from organizations. We get pushback from folks on the pricing. But many of those organizations, like you, your butt is in a Herman Miller chair before you even start day one, before you've written any code, before you've sold anything. You're That's like, right. you're in a Herman Miller chair. You've got a like fresh MacBook. MacBook Pro. There are things that tech values and we want leadership and management to be a thing that tech values. Mm-hmm. And for us, like part of being really firm about our pricing early on was like, you're paying these people $200,000 a year, whether they do anything or not. And mm-hmm. if, if we can make them 3% better mm-hmm. then well, what you know, is it? Is it 3% better? Is it like, what have you seen as sort of results? Like, Oh, it's the, it's the best. So we, at this point, we've worked with thousands of leaders and, and they're all in a big alum network. And so if, if we go back to a company that we've done work with, we get hugs and I'm like, we, which management trainers get hugs, um, but that's that's not how we keep score. Mostly, what happens is we we circle back with those founders, or or sometimes it's the head of like the chief of people or whatever, and say, "Where are you feeling it?" And and in the bigger companies, you get like a three four hundred person startup. They're probably using something like Culture Amp to measure internal engagement, and there you get hard numbers. Like here are the managers who went through it; their numbers are way up. Here are the managers who weren't in the cohort; their their numbers are flatlined. So it's pretty straightforward. But when we talk to the the younger companies. We talked to a CEO a little while ago who said, somebody new started in my company uh, about a month ago, and he said, this is the, the best managed he's ever been. He knows mm-hmm. his job. He knows his manager. He, he's having one-on-ones. Like, he just, I feel really good that he feels well-treated in this company, right? And that's a lot of the feedback we're looking for. There's there's other stuff. A bunch of our clients have been named as, like, best employers in Canada and stuff through Deloitte or whoever's scoring those things. But what we really look for is, like, is the experience of working for one of our client companies better? Because, like, work isn't working for a lot of people, and, and that's how we're keeping score. Let's, let's kind of wrap up with more about the personal side of things. Is this the work that you think you'll be doing for quite a long time? Have you, you know, you talked about being at Mozilla, yeah. which is, uh, I, I visited there once, and it seemed pretty cool, right? It's, it's a 
open source kind of place. Is this your life's work or do you feel like it's one of the things that you'll be doing? Arlen, this is the best work I've ever done in my career. Best yeah. like hands down. And I have done some really cool shit, but this is the, this is the coolest and most like personally just connected work I've ever done. Yeah. And, and hard. Like we have, yeah. we have an office now. It's a big deal to like get out of the elevator and, and see our, our name on a door. But yeah. like for a long time, it was, your laptops at the dining room table and then, oh, we got to feed the kids. So shove all the laptops to the other side of the table, yeah. right? Feed the kids, get them to sleep and then come back on. Like it, it's taking all of us to do this business, but man, I, I hope it goes for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's the best. And what do you, th if there are uh, married couples listening or, you know, one side of a married couple and they're like on the fence about working together, what, talk a little bit about the pros and cons. I think like you, in terms of pros, like you're, you're all in, right? Our mortgage doesn't get paid unless we make the business go. Yeah. And when we founded, we took our income to zero and we, we're not coming from wealth. Like yeah. It, yeah. It, it's very clarifying. It's very clarifying. And when people talk about sort of that hunger and that drive, you, you get really hungry and a lot of drive from your kids have to eat. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Almost every couple we talk to says, man, I could never, I could never start a business with my, with my partner. Right. Like I, yeah. I love him or her, but he's not, he's not for that. And I get it. Um, I think one thing we have going for us is that Melissa and I worked together first. We, we met at Mozilla and, and I was running Firefox security and she was running comms. And so anytime there was a security incident, we were working together. So that, that's where our relationship started. But like, you know, it also helps that we've been through some crap in our life and, and we're at this point now where we know what we care about. And then if there's conflict, we talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's really hard work. Yeah. I had a, a friend who was looking to co-found and he said, you know, my co-founder and I, we went through like deep personality tests and, and we feel like we're really compatible. And I was like, that may be a way to do it. But until you've had your first like disagreement, like until you've mm. actually really disagreed about the future of the business and had to find your way back yeah. to, to a path that worked for the organization and for the, for the two of you. I, I don't know. I, I feel like um, somebody in YC gave me the stat that like half of YC businesses fail because of co-founder drama. Yeah, I think they say right? that. Yeah. Like, and and you just you sort of sit with that stat and you're like, what would it be if you started with trust? Right. Like, what would it be if that trust were built in from day one? Mm -hmm. And it can be it can be built. I know that with Christy, mm -hmm. we um, we 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 fight like a married couple. <laughs> I think now that I'm married, well, actually I have fewer fights with my wife, <laughs> but it, it is, there is a certain trust that is definitely there and a respect that's there that is so deeply embedded that it's, and I can imagine that, um, and the, the little things that I work on with my wife actually are really cool that are like business related, that are more like projects that we do. They really are fun, but let's be real. What, what is the downside to it? it? Can it be too much of a good thing? I mean, I feel like that one of the downsides is you go on vacation and your co-founder is right there yeah. and you're like on vacation, but realistically, like you're going to talk about work because it's pretty natural. I think so especially, it doesn't turn off. Yeah. yeah. I think it it, especially yeah. if you're really lit up about what you're doing, it, yeah. it's hard to, yeah. and you, you always have that access. It takes diligence to, to get a break. Yeah. And I think, you know, a, a thing that I should name, she's never given us any grief about it, but it's gotta be weird working for married co-founders, right? right? That, like, yeah. That, like we just have this twin speak where like we show up and we're like, Adrian, yeah. everything's different. Well, I have Here's to say, I have to say y'all are sharing a mic right now because I didn't think to bring a third and, <laughs> and you're doing a fantastic job. And I would, if you can, if you run the company, like you share the mic, then I think you're, you're doing great. It's just one unending pattern. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's gotta be confusing, but, uh, but yeah, best work. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being here and, and sharing your story. And uh, I definitely think we should stay in touch about things. Love that. Thank, thank you. Arlen. you. 
Hey, podcast listeners, I'm doing a little experiment, as you may have seen online recently. I want to incentivize you to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts and also give you a little gift for doing so, for taking the time out. I want you to leave an authentic review for your first million on Apple Podcasts. And when you do so, send me a message. You can DM me on Instagram. Arlen was here. A-R-L-A-N was here on Instagram. You can reach out to me by email or you can DM me on Twitter. Same handle. Arlen was here. Let me know your t-shirt size, your mailing address, and your full name. And let me know that you filled out a review for your first million on Apple. Right now it's for Apple only. And once you do that, we'll take your information down and we'll get a shirt out to you over the next few days. All right, everybody, looking forward to seeing you in those shirts. Hey, it's Arlen. Thanks for listening to this episode. So I would love to keep up with you online. You can find me at Arlen Was Here on Instagram and on Twitter. That's A-R-L-A-N Was Here. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with you. You can also pre-order my first book. It's called It's About Damn Time. You can pre-order it at your local indie bookstore. Please do that. Feel free. And online where books are sold, where where, where great books are sold. If you want to go to a specific link, you can go to prh.com slash it's about damn time all together. No no spaces, no slashes, nothing. So prh.com slash it's about damn time. And it'll give you a list of places you can pre-order the book and pre-ordering is huge. The more pre-orders the bookstores see, the more copies they will order and potentially more copies that will get sold and exposed and seen. If you're thinking about getting the book, but you're going to wait until after it comes out, I encourage you to pre-order it. May 5th, 2020 is the actual date. So you have plenty of time to grab it, but try to do it between now and then. I'll see you online in the meantime. If you are interested in advertising on your first million, go to yfmpodcast.com and click on contact. You can have yours truly read your ad, which is, I know, lovely, uh, or you can send me your own ad. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time.